Well, hello and welcome. Uh, this is so great uh, to be with you today as we are continuing this series called High Fidelity, where we are exploring uh, what Christians believe, in particular the Apostles' Creed. You see, to live a life that matters, we need to know what matters, and it's really good for us to spend this time exploring the essentials that really matter, and that's why creeds are so important. So before we kind of dive into the scriptures and dig into uh, today's portion, uh, do you remember your favorite Christmas gift from childhood? Uh, I remember mine. It was uh, Christmas 1986. And in fact, I have a photo of this. This is, this is little Jason right here. That's my Pac-Man pajamas, little Casio watch. Um, and I have, uh, anybody know who that is? Yeah, the Hulkster brother, uh, Hulk Hogan. And this was a really special moment for me, actually, because, you know, I've said this before in other messages, but if you didn't know, I had, I had a rough upbringing, changed elementary schools 12 times, lived and experienced a lot of difficult things. The Christmas before this wasn't so great. The Christmas after this wasn't so great. But in this Christmas, something special was happening. Uh, we got to uh, have Christmas right here in Rapid City, even though I was living in Texas at the time, and we were at my Grandma Judy's house. And this was one of those moments that, I would watch on TV or in the movies, and I didn't know happened in real life, but it happened for me, where Christmas morning arrived, and we went downstairs at my grandma's house wearing our pajamas. There's a train around the Christmas tree. The fireplace was going. It's not going in this picture, but it was going. We had warm drinks. Everybody was all together, and there was so much love and joy and happiness. And for me, it was such a special time because it wasn't what I was used to. And then I'm opening up these amazing gifts, and lo and behold, I got this monster Hulk Hogan, not doll, but action figure. Big distinction, action figure. And uh, I was just so grateful in that moment. And as I look back in my childhood, uh, I realize that it's moments like this that were the true gift. This was a great gift, but it was the moment that was the gift. And I think at that moment, because I hadn't had so many awesome times, when I had a great one, I didn't take it for granted. I took it for what it was, and that was a gift. And in fact, this is kind of cool. Um, a couple of weeks ago, my life came full circle, and I actually brought this picture. I actually got to meet the man himself. I went to uh, WrestleMania about 10 days ago, and uh, that was uh, Hulk Hogan. I got to have that experience, like the doll, or excuse me, action figure I was holding. Now I was holding his actual hand. It was a pretty cool moment uh, for me to share. And what a gift. You know, I've realized the key to happiness and joy and everything in life is to view life as a gift. In fact, there's two different ways that we all view life. We either get what we deserve or we receive the gift we don't deserve. And as we explore the Apostles' Creed, we're diving into God's greatest gift for us, and that is Jesus and his finished work on the cross. Amen? Amen. All right. Get fired up, as we like to say around here. Well, this week, we're going to look at this portion of the Apostles' Creed. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. This is the crux of the creed, the heart of the matter. And as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he says this, uh, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You see, it is all about Jesus. What we know about Jesus is that he was fully God and fully human. Jesus is real. He's not a myth. He's not an idea. He was a real person. We know where he lived. We know he was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth. We know he died in Jerusalem. 
We know when he was alive. We know he was alive during the time of Pontius Pilate, which is around 26, 27 to 36, 37 AD. Uh, we know that uh, who his family was. We knew his family trees in Matthew 1. We know his parents were Mary and Joseph. Uh, we even know how he died. We know that he was tortured, beaten, mocked, and crucified. And I could talk about the details and the bloody, gory death that he had. Um, it's, it's a, it was really torture because he, he didn't just die of, of all of the beatings and lashing, dying in a slow case of suffocation on the cross. Um, it was buried in a tomb, yet we don't have his physical body. But these are the basic data points of his life, the who, the what, the when, the where, the how. Uh, while these are historically true, these facts don't say anything. It's kind of like trying to describe chocolate versus tasting chocolate. Should I describe chocolate? It is this brown piece of clump with the texture of dirt, and it tastes good. And does that really describe chocolate? No, you have to taste chocolate for those chocolate lovers, like my wife. You have to taste chocolate to fully experience, because here's the deal. Those facts are very important. And in fact, the creed gives us the facts, the historical facts. Nobody denies them. Nobody denies Jesus' existence and what happened to him. But the question that the creed asks us to ask is this, why? Why did Jesus suffer under Pontius Pilate? Why, did, why was Jesus crucified, died, and was buried? Why did Jesus have to die? I'm going to ask you, do you know what you believe? God's story, do you live out of the power of God's story? Well, today we're going to dive into the scriptures in 1 John. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We'll put it up here. And we're going to find this story associated in here. And as we look at uh, this portion of the creed, think about the context in which this takes place, the context of Jesus' crucifixion, death, and burial. Starting in verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now we're going into chapter two. My little children, I am writing these things to you. By the way, when he says my little children, that's like a father talking to his kids. Don't think it's patronizing as we would assume today in our culture. My little children. I know, huh? I know. Used to be a nice thing, you'd say things. Uh, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. I love this piece of scripture because every, the whole gospel stories is you can kind of see the kind of the four main elements in that. And so we're going to start here before we really dive into the cross. We have to set the context, and we're, it, it all begins with our creator. Um, so when we go to verse 5, this is what it says. Uh, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. You have to know that your creator loves you. In case nobody's ever told you this before, God loves you. If you're watching, God loves you. God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. And you can say, Jason, but wait, no, God loves you, okay? You need to know that. 
You need to know that. You need to know that. I have to remember that. And God, by him, we know the difference between light and darkness, truth and lies, right and wrong. See, it, the beginning of this story is actually our beginning because he's always been. But he made us to be in a relationship with him and reflect his light and love. And we were created to live free and be in fellowship with our creator. See, with God, everything that is good comes from God. Love, beauty, wonder, justice, joy, nature, puppies, coffee, pro wrestling, <laughs> spice girls, whatever. That's an inside joke. But whatever the case may be, all the good things in life come from God. So anything that you love that's awesome and epic and amazing and not sinful, all of that comes from God. By his light we see, by his light we believe, and by his light we live. He is all-loving, all-knowing, all-powerful, always good, and always just. God is just. And that's an important part because the rest of this uh, next section that I'm going to talk about requires you to believe in the justice of God. When we speak about his justice, that means he hates all that is evil. And you and I, we can make the mistake of sitting in judgment of God because it appears that it doesn't apply the way we think it should sometimes. We could be tempted to believe as we read scriptures uh, that he might somehow be unjust. Why do some people go to heaven, some people don't? Uh, why do good things happen to this person, but it doesn't happen to me? But we should be very careful because the truth is God's justice is as pure as his love. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. It's from Mere Christianity, awesome book. I love it. It's, it's this, this is an amazing quote. My argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust, but how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of what a straight line. But what was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? So when you talk about justice in this world, that we want things to be made right, because can you admit things are not right in this world? Things are not right in our own lives, but certainly not right in this world. We see it every day. Just look at all headlines. Just look. And you say, that's not right. And you have to know, where do you get the sense of what's right or wrong? How do you know what's right or wrong unless God tells you what's right or wrong? He's put certain things in our conscience and our hearts, but he's also written it right here. This is the supreme authority for life and faith. This is where we find out what's right and wrong. Not how I feel. There's some things I think, well, that's wrong, but God says it's right. There are some things that I think should be right, and God says, no, that's wrong. Who wins? Can God contradict you? Can God's word, has God's words ever contradicted your opinion? Or does your opinion trump God's word? And if so, you've created your own religion. But if you want to follow Jesus and you want to live forever in paradise with him, you follow what he says. And it's important to recognize that because we're about to get... Uh, get good here. So the truth is not what we want it to be. It's what God says it is. There is a right or wrong. The scales are never tipped with God. He is always legit and always on the level. Okay. His justice is as pure as his love. Like we said, if we say we have fellowship with him, we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So that that passage that I read to you, these are three things that pop out. And this is important because for us to experience how amazing grace is, go to the next slide. For us to experience how amazing grace is, we must see how serious our sins are. 
So I'm here. I'm here because I care about you, okay? I care about you. I care about you enough to tell you this. You are a sinner. You are a sinner, just like me. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us need forgiveness, and so we are going to talk about sin. How's that? Is that fun? Let's talk about sin, right? Um, well, here's something I want to talk about from Psalm 14.3. This is a truth, and you have to know this about yourself or any, any, any of you who think you're really good people, okay? They have all, what's this word? All turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. This is also echoed in the book of Romans. But the point being, all of us fall short. And it's funny how we get kind of judgmental about the things we don't struggle with and the things we do struggle with. The fact of the matter is God doesn't look at it like that. The, just, the justice of God is, you all, I love you, but you are all jacked up. Every single one of you are jacked up. And again, uh, God hates evil. And the problem is none of us are as we should be. And even when we think we're pretty good and we think that we deserve heaven, we miss the truth because we deserve God's fury because of our sin. Popular message so far, eh? So what is sin? Well, sin means this. It means to miss the mark, okay? That means you are, you are not hitting the bullseye every time, neither am I. I don't pitch a perfect game, neither did you. So I'm not up here, by the way, coming down from the mountain of truth with all the answers. I'm standing in the shadow of it just like you. This is one sinner talking to another sinner who's been saved by grace, hoping you will be saved by grace as well. See, sin is the miss the mark, and this is what it does. It shames and separates and defiles and condemns. We know that in the book of Genesis, our, when our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned, we knew that when they ate the fruit they shouldn't have, they went and hid and were ashamed. We say that they were ashamed and they hid. They try to hide from God. They try to separate from God. They're shame. That, that feeling, you ever felt the shame? But they were trying to remove themselves from God. But sin does this, it defiles and condemns. And condemns means this, we want paradise forever, right? How many of you want to go to heaven? I know you want to go to heaven. I know you do. You're listening because you want to go to heaven. But without Jesus, without his sacrifice, the scriptures tell us in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. That what we actually deserve is death. We deserve hell. That's condemnation. And I'm telling you, without Jesus, that's what I deserve. And it's what you deserve. I want to talk a little bit about this word defilement. Um, defilement, or defiles, is sin uh, that's done by you and done to you. So I remember uh, when I was in the Air Force, uh, lived in these apartments and I had, had a Jeep and I had a cool killer stereo system that was probably worth more than the Jeep. Does that make sense? The Jeep was old, uh, wood paneling, awesome now, but at the time, you know, uh, not, not so awesome, I guess, but had, had a sweet stereo system and I went to work one morning and it was four o'clock in the morning because I'd be at work at five and my car obviously had been messed with. I went to the Jeep and the steering wheel's laying in the seat. And then I look around, and the stereo's gone. What's worse, the cash was gone. And what was worse than that is my whole booklet of CDs were gone. I mean, I'm talking my Garth Brooks, my Def Leppard, 
my Michael Bolton's greatest hits, you know, whatever. I mean, all of these things, they were, they were gone. And like, if you knew like back then your CD collection, this is pre-MP3s and all that. Like that was like, I lived by that thing and it was all gone. But I, what I remember is, as, um, I was really freaked out about why the steering wheel was on the seat. My guess was they were just trying to get to the stereo. But I had this sense of being violated. You ever had something broken into, like a home, uh, maybe your car, or something was stolen, and you know, kind of like the three bears, someone's been sleeping in my bed. There's, there's, you've had this sense of violation, and that's where it, like, it feels like something's been done to you. That's sin. It's been done to you. And some of you, um, you wish that you just had my story where the only defilement you've ever experienced might have been CDs being stolen out of your car, but some of you have experienced some things worse. People have defiled you. Someone's done bad things to you. Um, And and it's important for me to sit and acknowledge that, that that is a sin. And sometimes we talk about sin that we do, and we, we will talk about that, and I've already told you that you are a sinner, but you have to know that God knows this. God knows that you've had things done to you and how that makes you feel. He sees that. And whenever you've, in some of you, when you've had those moments, you feel dirty, um, you feel unclean, you've, you've, you know something's wrong. And no one has to tell you. I don't even have to preach that to you. You know it better than anybody. And that's what sin does. And if you can imagine how it has made you feel or how you can imagine it might make you feel, when we sin, it has that effect also as, as we kind of give sin out into the world and onto other people. And more importantly, and most of all to God, it is a defilement because sin contaminates and we can feel when that happens. Um, I wonder though, thinking about our own sin, if we get so comfortable sinning that we're used to it, it's like furniture. We just kind of make excuses, especially those of us who live in God's grace, that we take it for granted about what God did. See, there's kind of two types of of sin to talk about, the sin of commission and the sin of omission. Sin of commission is we do what we shouldn't do. You you maybe told a lie, uh, maybe you broke the law, you know, maybe um, you listened to the Spice Girls, something, you did something you weren't supposed to do, okay? The sin of omission is when we don't do what we should. A lot of this is withholding something you're supposed to tell somebody or giving when you're supposed to give or, you know, these kinds of things. Going to church every Sunday because that's what you're supposed to do, right? But there are things in our lives that we know we're supposed to do that we don't do. And these are the kinds of things that we have to imagine that how we sin um, because Behind every sin is a false god. We were all made to worship, and the root of every sin is idolatry. We are worshiping anything or anyone other than our creator, and oftentimes, that's ourselves. And so it's good for us sometimes to reflect on our sin. It's good. It's hard. This is a hard message to teach. I had the the, the good fortune of talking about sin and telling you that you are all sinners. And it's easy for me to, to say that, but I'm going to tell you there's a lot of churches and a lot of Christians who won't ever do that to you. Fountain Springs loves you enough to tell you that sin is real. Hell is real. There's evil. There's bad. There's wicked. And 
that's not the end of the story. But how can we change and how can we be made right? Well, before Christ was crucified, there was this. There was the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement, we learn this from Leviticus 16, and there's so much more to this than I will unpack here, so just know I won't say everything about everything, but there is something I want to highlight. There are two goats. Uh, One goat was given for the people of Israel. So basically, God's people got it established a system whereby an animal sacrifice was made to set a pattern for how God would atone for his people. And so they took two goats from the tribe and one goat was sacrificed, slaughtered, and its blood was shed as a sin offering. It, it, think of the cleansing of, of God's blood. That's, that's what it does. And another goat was called a scapegoat. And that's where the, the high priest would pray the sins of God's people on this goat. We would confess our sins. So healthy to confess our sins just to get it out. Shine a light on it. God loves the light. God is light. Shine a light on it. Confess the sins. That's what that means. Confess, shine light. Good? And they would do that. And this goat would carry the sins away into the wild. A lot of theories about what happened there. That it would remove, it signified removal of sin. Some people might say the removal of God's wrath. And where does that wrath go? Wrath's going exactly where it belongs. The enemy. But definitely away from God. So like them, rebellion and uncleanliness of sins must be atoned for. And as hard as we try, uh, we try to make things right on our own with God. But the fact is the creator, in order to rescue us, we can't do it on our own. The creator had to step into our story and we are his creation because the fury of God's wrath, which is what sin has, the fury of God's wrath can only be satisfied by the fury of God's love. As bad and terrible as sin is, which we've harped on, I need you to know this. As bad and awful as it is, God's love is greater. God loves you. That is mercy. Is the mercies we don't get what we deserve, right? We get God's mercy. And this is why Jesus had to die because of his furious love for you. The Father loves you with a furious love. And this is why Jesus had to suffer under Pontius Pilate and was crucified, died, and was buried. In Christ, we are forgiven. In our scriptures in 1 John, we have this. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus. Think about the two goats. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. How awesome is that? We know sin leads to shame and separation. So what hope do we have? Well, the hope is found in Jesus. So Jesus we're going to finish with this. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. He is our advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. We'll explain that in a minute. And not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. So Jesus is both our sacrifice and our scapegoat. Our sacrifice and our scapegoat. When he did that on the cross, think about what, what the God's people had to do before Jesus was here. Now, once and for all, Jesus was our sacrifice and our scapegoat. And there's two theological words I'm going to share with you. I hope you're okay if I nerd out just a little bit. You all right with this? Big words. So the first word, propitiation. What do you think of that? Say that one five times fast. Don't, you'll say poop a bunch. Um, (laughs) Might be appropriate in there somehow. I don't know. Um, But this is what it means. Um, Appeasing God's wrath and gaining his favor through Christ. And this is part of the atonement. So if you don't know, atonement I have up here means a covering. So when God looks at us, what does he see? Does he see the sin and the, and the justice that we rightly deserve, which means his wrath? Or does he see 
Jesus. And Jesus' blood. So the propitiation is Jesus took the wrath for us on the cross. On the cross, which I read earlier, the wrath of God, it was, we, we focus so much on his physical torment, which is awful and terrible, by the way. Awful and terrible. But what it was the cosmic thing that was happening, Jesus, in a moment in time, took on the entire wrath of God for every sin there will ever be. Because God is always just. He is always loving, but he's always just. How do we take care of it? Do we want that wrath? No, Jesus took that wrath on. He, be, he was our propitiation. And it was because of that furious love of God. And I love the scripture from 2 Corinthians. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And the other word I want to talk about is this, is expiation. It's another part of the atonement. And that's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from sin and removes uh, the guilt that comes from it. You see, sin brings guilt and all the sins that we've committed. The Bible uses words like this, cleansing and purifying and washing away to the defilement and shame. Uh, this is why our identity must be marked by who we are in Jesus. Uh, no longer by what's been done to us or what we have actually done ourselves. Through the cross, Jesus has taken our sin away forever. And that was foreshadowed by that scapegoat on the day of atonement. Jesus forgave our sin on the cross and cleanses us from all sins. His finished work on the cross has turned everything upside down, or better said, it turned everything right side up. Ephesians 2 says this, for God's grace, <clears throat> for by God's grace, grace, we have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is what? The gift from God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Jesus is the hero of the story. Through Jesus, we are no longer defiled. We are purified. Through Jesus, we are no longer condemned. We are accepted. Jesus died for us so that we might live for him. And in Christ, we are forgiven because this is what forgiveness does. Forgiveness returns us to the freedom and fellowship with God and one another. 1 John 2.3 says, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And our calling is to walk in his light. When Jesus prayed the Lord's Prayer, he prayed this. Forgive them their trespasses as they forgive those who trespass against them. So the fact is, Jesus is calling us to forgiveness. And there's a great story uh, I want to conclude with here. Um, it's from a, about a lady named Corey Tenboom. She was a, <clears throat> a Holocaust survivor. And a really, a really remarkable story. There's a book called The Hiding Place, a movie by that same name. Uh, highly recommend it. But she wrote this in Guidepost. I think my grandma used to get this. Guidepost. But this, this great story and I want to conclude with this, and I want you to let this sink in, because if God, if sin is real, but God's love is even more real, and his grace is so powerful, and what a gift it is, what do we do with that? Well, we receive it, but he also calls us to this. And she writes this story. It was, a, it was in a church in Munich where I was speaking in 1947 that I saw him, a bald, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat. A brown felt hat clutched between his hands. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. Memories of the concentration camp came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor and the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment of her skin. 
Betsy, her sister, and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had now been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message. How good it is to know that, as you say, all sins are at the bottom of the sea. It was the first time my release, since my release that I had been face-to-face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he said. I was a guard there, but since that time, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? I stood there, and I could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for asking? It could not have been uh, many seconds that I stood there, handheld, his, he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it, I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those that have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will could function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I could do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into my jointed hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long time, we grasped each other's hand, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. It's a pretty powerful story. And I think some of us have some forgiveness of our own. So as we end, I want to leave us with this. We need forgiveness. We've established that. We are forgiven through Christ. Therefore, we, be, we forgive all because of the furious love of God. And I'm gonna have, leave you with two things today, two questions to ask you. If you're not a believer and you're not sure, will you accept the gift of God's grace? It's the greatest question you can ask. It's offered to you right now. The other thing to ask, if you are a believer, who do you need to forgive? So I'm going to leave you with that. One of our pastors are going to come up and uh, take it on from here and guide us into the Lord's Supper. Thank you.